This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 13. Luke 23, verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they were asking for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Uh, The band are going to read some of the bits of this next passage. From verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. for We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun had stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him 
including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Good morning, my name is Stephen, one of the pastors here. Some things, don't you reckon, are easier to believe than others? I got a uh, a text message a couple of months ago and it said, Hey mum, I'm at Woolworths and brought the wrong card with me. Can you please send me $318.51? Now maybe I'm um, a bit too much of a sceptic, but for me that was unbelievable. We shop at Coles. And um, it's even unrealistic that my kids are going to buy $318.51 worth of chewing gum and lollies. I mean, they get close, but still. And I'm not mum. It, it was just completely unbelievable on almost every level. You know, if it said, hey, dad, I'm at school and forgot my computer, lunch and shoes, that could be a different story. Now, these days, it, it, it feels like you can never let your guard down. Someone is always trying to get you to believe something, you know, whether it's a scam or fake news or even mainstream news or advertising or just friends trying to project a certain kind of life on Instagram. It feels like it's hard to know what to believe. And it's sad, really, that at our fingertips, we've got more information than ever before. And yet it feels like we can have less confidence than ever before about what's actually worth believing. And so some of us end up not knowing what to believe. Some believe something pretty strongly, while others believe the opposite pretty strongly. And often we're all looking at the same thing, but we come to very different conclusions. This isn't just a modern problem. You know, it has a modern complication with the internet. But people have always looked at the same event and and come to different conclusions and believed different things about them. And Easter is an event like that. It's one of those things where very different people look at the same event and come to very different conclusions about what they believe. In fact, the the cross of Jesus right from the very beginning, even as it's happening, is one of those kinds of events. Luke, who we just uh, read before what he'd written, he, he tells the story of Jesus' life. He gathers the different eyewitnesses' accounts of what happened and and puts them together into the one story. And as he tells that part of the story where Jesus dies on the cross, he shows us the different ways, the different things that people believed about the cross. And what we see is that most of them actually found it quite unbelievable that the cross could be accomplishing anything significant at all. Pretty much all of them found it quite unbelievable that Jesus was doing anything significant. Pretty much all of them, except for one unlikely person. So what we're going to do for the next little while is we're going to look at the cross through the eyes of these different people. We're going to see what they believe is happening. We're going to see the the cross through the eyes of the soldiers and then the people and the rulers and then finally the criminals. So Luke takes us to the soldiers. He takes us down to the ground. We're lying in the dirt and on the rocks we see rough beams of wood and three rough looking men 
being held down by some equally rough-looking soldiers. And here we see the first belief about the cross. The soldiers see Jesus on the cross and they believe they see nothing remarkable. In their minds, there are three criminals being pinned down, three people just getting what they deserve. Or maybe not. Maybe they've been unlucky, falsely accused even. But such is life and it's not their problem. Getting three men secured to the crosses so that they don't run off, that's their problem. There's nothing remarkable remarkable at all about what's happening for them. Because when it comes to executing people, they know everyone's the same really. Admittedly, some things have been a little bit different for them today. To start with, they don't usually have to do their job with so many people, such a big crowd of people looking on. It's strange how you have to concentrate all the harder to get the hammer to hit the nail while people are watching you. Why is that? But despite all the drama, there's still the same job to be done. And everyone reacts the same when they have a nail being hammered through their wrist. They all cry out. They all beg you not to do it. Or they curse you. Or they beg you, beg their God to save them or to take revenge on you for them. And you've just got to block it out, really, and get on with it. They were finding it a bit more difficult to do that today, to to block them out. Because the criminal, the, the one drawing all the crowds, instead of begging them to stop or asking his God to curse them, this criminal was begging his God, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Okay, they had to admit that was a bit different. A bit unbelievable, really. I mean, does this guy really think his God could do anything to stop the next nail going in? And if his God really could strike them down, you know, smite them, it's almost unbelievable that this guy would beg him to hold back. And not just hold back, actually, but to forgive them. That was a bit weird. But after being deployed in this God-forsaken place full of weird people with weird little fights, nothing really surprises them anymore. They're actually finding it quite amusing. I mean, someone's gone and written a sign above his head that says, the king of the Jews, a pathetic king of a pathetic people. It's a bit funny and it's totally unbelievable that this guy, naked and nailed to a cross, could be a king worth anything. They give the call, hoist him up, boys, and up he goes. Up goes the cross, but Luke's focus stays with those down on the ground, with the local people and with their rulers watching. And here we see a second belief about the cross. The people and the rulers see the cross, and they believe they see proof, proof that Jesus is not worth taking seriously. This is what they wanted. Unlike the soldiers, they're not just doing their job. They're not oblivious to what's been going on. They've been following what Jesus has been doing for some time now. They know he saved others. They believe that much because you couldn't deny it, really. They'd seen it with their own eyes. They'd interrogated people who'd been healed by him. They couldn't explain how he did it. But they didn't need to now. Because he was clearly presenting a picture of God that was just wrong. A view of God that dragged his name through the mud. And now God's justice had finally caught up with him 
like God always says it does. The wicked will not prosper. The irony was almost too good to be true. He could save others, but he can't save himself. He had the power to end the sickness for others, but obviously in all of that, God had just been setting him up for a fall. Probably he'd overstepped the mark. You know, at one point he he even claimed for himself the power to forgive sins, the power to save people from God's judgment. Now that's looking very unbelievable and, and even pretty funny since he can't even save himself. And so they call out, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. They see the cross. They see a fraud. He's just like the other two criminals on either side of him. It's fitting, framed by sinners. And now they even hear one of them mocking Jesus. Luke lifts our attention to the left, to one of the criminals hanging on the cross. And here we see a third belief about the cross. He sees Jesus on the cross and he believes he sees an idealist finally facing up to reality. For all his talk, Jesus is more like him than he realizes, he reckons. Already he's starting to struggle for breath up there next to Jesus, but he can't keep his mouth shut. His best and possibly his only quality has always been consistency. All through life, he's always looked for approval from people. Always been the comedian, the naughty kid, the bully. And he keeps it going right till the end. Because what he'd seen of this Messiah, this Jesus, made him sick, if he's honest. Pious, even in death. He's unbelievable. Acting calm, unafraid, still concerned for his stupid, miserable followers. I mean, look at the women down there, cowering, crying over him and his empty claims. The criminal thinks to himself, can't they see that he's just like the rest of us? I mean, he's just like me, for God's sake, a con man. So he yells over to Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It's just a joke, really. He's not serious. Because when he looks over at Jesus, he sees an empty Messiah of no use to him, of no use to anyone. Yes, his own life was ending badly, but at least he'd stared the cold, hard reality of life in the eyes There is no God, or at least there's no God who could be interested in him. There's no Messiah going to ride in and save the day. All that is just a crutch for desperate people, unwilling to grow up and face the facts. And certainly there was no God out there just dying to save a criminal like him. Then Luke takes us to the right. As a man equally as despicable as this criminal interrupts him and says don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve but this man's done nothing wrong and here we see a fourth belief about the cross this criminal sees Jesus on the cross and he believes he sees an innocent man suffering unfairly he's not completely sure why he's even speaking up I mean he's no martyr He's no hero, that's for sure. He's not a nice person even, not not by any stretch of the imagination. Going through his head are the, the crimes he's done. 
some of them unspeakable. The faces of the people that he sent ahead of him to the place he's now going. He knows what got him nailed to this cross. And as, as awful as it is, he, he knows he deserves it. But it's obvious to him that this man next to him is different. Anyone can see that the rulers are threatened by him. Anyone can see they've manipulated the Romans into doing their own dirty work. But he's starting to see something else too that the rest of them seem to be missing. Somehow, Jesus is doing what he's doing for a reason. He's suffering. He's in pain. He's struggling for breath. And yet, he's in control. It's almost like he's not there at their mercy at all, like they seem to think. It's almost like he's somehow there at God's mercy, somehow achieving something God wants him to do. He looks over at Jesus and, and, and despite the fact that Jesus hangs there weakly, pathetically, he sees, well, he sees a king. He sees a king who's not coming to his end, but is, is somehow achieving his own ends and purposes that that he can only guess at, that, that the others seem to be missing completely. And suddenly what seems so unbelievable about, about a cross becomes clear to this criminal. That here is a king who's refusing to save himself. Not because he can't, but because if he were to save himself, he, he couldn't save others. He sees it's not the nails holding him there. It's something else, something more powerful, something wonderful, something almost unbelievable. And yet something that can only be the one explanation that this is a good man dying for bad people. And seeing it before he can even really articulate it, he feels hope rising in his heart, a hope that that he knows he doesn't even deserve to feel, and yet he can't help it. And he clumsily bursts, bursts, blurts out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Having said it, it's too much to ask, he knows. But if what he thinks he sees in Jesus could be true, just maybe, maybe his mercy could extend even to him. Luke moves our focus at this point to Jesus. And in words broken by pain and, and gasping, Jesus simply says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And here we start to see what Jesus believes he's doing at the cross. A criminal who just hours before was caught red-handed, Jesus tells in just a matter of hours, Today, he'll be in paradise in his kingdom. Jesus tells him he'll be the first person to enter his kingdom. The flag bearer of a new humanity. Not because he deserved it, but simply because he saw what Jesus was doing on the cross and dared to believe that even he could be included in his mercy. At this point, Luke turns our focus upwards. And here Luke shows us clearly what God believes is happening at the cross. God sees Jesus on the cross and he believes that a good man 
is dying to save bad people. Even though it's midday, we see there's only darkness above it. It's unnaturally dark. It's almost as if creation itself is threatening to tear apart. Blackness is being drawn over Jesus like a a curtain, like a shroud. It's like there's a barrier between Jesus and the one he calls Father. It's like every single act of evil, every act of defiance against God that, that cuts us off from him, clings to Jesus, covers him, engulfs him. And yet it's at this very moment, as Jesus' life is snuffed out, that God says to us, our sin is now overcome. Because Luke tells us the curtain in the temple the curtain that holds back the people from the presence of God is torn. God is saying to us, people can now come freely into his presence. The way God sees it, we can now stand before him unafraid, forgiven, because at the cross a good man dies for his people. Different people see the same event in different ways we see that in luke we get a taste for that they believe different things and and it makes me wonder what about us what do we believe about what is happening there at the cross you know a text message that says hey mum it can be pretty safely ignored uh, it's, it's probably smarter to not respond to it at all it doesn't need much thought or investigation it's not believable it, it's it's completely different to something like this. This is something that is worth investigating. I work from home and, and sometimes when I'm really busy, my kids, they, they slip stuff under the door. And if I'm really distracted, I can miss what's going on and kind of scraps of paper can build up underneath my door. And a really bad response to that situation would be just, just to ignore them like a, a hey mum text. Or even worse, to kind of just chuck them in recycling. Or to get annoyed. That would be to miss their true meaning. It would be to, to believe the wrong thing. To come to the wrong conclusion about what's happening. Because when I open them up, do you know what those scraps of paper are? They are carefully drawn pictures of pure love. You know, they're not random people in random places. Or random scenes. I'm there, carefully drawn, and there's my daughter you can see in, in yellow, her favorite color. We're together, we're, we're smiling. Every detail has a meaning, some of them a little bit um, juvenile. And to come to the wrong conclusion, or, or you know, to not bother coming to a conclusion, would be to miss something important. As my kids have gotten older, some of them have gone from drawing me pictures to occasionally writing me a letter and usually it's it's because i've missed something it's i've been stubborn or, or i've been blind to something important and when they really want to get something across to me something hugely important something they really want me to believe they've written it down at times and let me tell you a, a handwritten letter from one of my kids Asking me to see things differently, to believe things differently, is not something to be ignored. The cross is not like a hey mum text. It's more like a handwritten message where someone is pouring out their heart to you. Don't 
miss the true meaning of what's what's going on in the cross don't believe the wrong thing about it you know god may not be who you expect him to be but that would be a tragic reason to miss the meaning of the cross because this is god showing real love love stronger than nails love stronger than death the cross is a picture of god making a way to him for you where there is no other way if you can see just a glimpse of that, just a glimpse of the, of the meaning of the cross, if you can see a, just a shadow even of what Jesus is doing, take another step to see if it really is believable. To see if it really is believable that God is moving heaven and hell for you. way you could take another step would be something like to read this book, Is Easter Unbelievable?, uh, I found myself laughing and hooked within 30 seconds of reading it. Uh, there's some copies of this up on the back table, free. Uh, if you're not sure what you believe about the cross, this is a great way to take that step and investigate it. Another great way is we've got four weeks coming up in May where we're going to be doing something we call the Life Series at the Highbury Hotel, a really relaxed way to look into Jesus, a fun way, and to see whether he really is believable investigate properly and figure out what you what you believe for yourself about the cross and whether you think it is believable